Hi, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Welcome to Tumble, the show where we explore stories of science discovery. Today, we're taking an up-close look at the lives of cells. What is the life of a cell like? Like, every day they wake up, they stretch their flagellum, they heat up their cup of uh, sugar, water. (laughs) (laughs) It's a simple life, but it's a lot more complicated than most people imagine. We're about to peek through the microscope to discover what makes every cell different. Mary Dunlop is a biological engineer who works in the laboratory the same way she works in the kitchen. I'm the sort of cook or baker who like understands the reasons behind the recipes and then likes to go from there. At home, she's known for cobbling together her own recipes with ideas from many different places. Like my husband will ask how to make something and I'm like, oh, you look in, you know, on this website and then through that cookbook and then you use the technique from this other thing. And so that's the type of, of engineer I am as well. So what's Mary's equivalent of putting together a recipe when she's actually in her lab? Well, a lab recipe is a science experiment. Oh, I guess I never thought about it that way, but you're right. The experiment Mary is cooking up has never been made before. At the end of it, she hopes to figure out why cells that look the same act so differently from each other. That's really interesting. And just like in her own kitchen, she's using... Tools or techniques from very different places and bring them to the problems that we're interested in. So, well, that's an interesting approach, but what kind of problems is she interested in? Cell problems. Cell problems. So you're telling me that it's a problem that cells act differently from each other. Well, it's not a problem for the cells, but it's a problem for Mary and scientists like her who want to understand how cells work on a very basic level. And the reason that we're interested in studying this is that people for a long time have sort of assumed that bacteria are really simple. They're probably not doing anything particularly interesting. Sounds like scientists aren't giving bacteria a lot of credit. I mean, come on, just boring old bacteria. To be fair, bacterial cells are some of the simplest organisms on Earth. They don't have a lot of fancy parts inside of them, so scientists assume that one cell is no different from the next. But that turns out not to be true. When we look at cells under the microscope, what we find is that cells that are genetically identical, which means they have the same DNA, will not necessarily do the same thing. So what does it mean that cells are genetically identical, and what are these things that they're doing differently? Those are great questions. Let's first get to the basics of how bacteria cells behave. Then we'll find out how Mary's experiment is attempting to crack their code. All right, I'm all ears. So the first thing you need to know is that bacterial cells are basically little moving packages of DNA. The DNA is sort of the instruction manual for how to run a cell. I guess you could, you could also think about it as sort of a cookbook in that it contains like information about how to make different things. The DNA, those instructions or books of recipes, are the same in every cell. So wait, if two really simple cells have identical operating instructions, how, how are they not doing the same thing? This is really similar to identical twins. So you might have twins, but they're not the same person. Even though they have the same genetic material, they have different life experiences, and so they end up not being completely identical. So they might be in different classes at school, have different friends. They might look a little bit different or respond differently to people or or other things they encounter. And cells are, are very similar to that. 
So what's the cell equivalent of like going to different schools and hanging out with different people? Well, in science words, it's called expressing their genes differently. And so if we look at two cells under the microscope that are right next to each other, they will not express their genes in the same way. What does it mean for cells to express their genes? Well, remember how Mary compared DNA to a cookbook for a cell? The gene would be a particular recipe, um, and by expressing it, it means that you start making that thing. So the cell's like flipping through the cookbook and decides it feels like making uh, pasta tonight. Yeah, and you can think of the cell's decision to make pasta or not make pasta as the cell expressing what it's thinking and feeling. There's a lot of emotional weight in the pasta-making decision. Like, especially if they're making it from scratch. That takes a long time. <laughs> right. And believe it or not, it could mean whether the cell lives or dies in the face of stress. So whether cells will be able to tolerate things in their environment that would otherwise potentially kill them. Whoa. So we just went from a delightful evening of homemade pasta with a cell to that cell maybe getting killed? I'm thinking of the cell like listening to a podcast, pouring itself a glass of wine, and then the scary music comes on in the background. <laughs> dum, 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 dum. The stakes in the story really just shot up. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a bit. I'm very concerned about the fate of this little bacteria chef. Now you can see cells have problems too. <laughs> Indeed they do. Okay, so, but I know that cells don't actually plan on a night in to make pasta. So what's Mary actually looking at? Unless there are pasta bowls that are much tinier than I can possibly conceive of. Well, this is Mary's experiment. It's trying to find out if these little decisions can show us whether the cell is strong or weak. Bigger picture goal of what we're doing is understanding how these different patterns of gene expression, like whether cells turn their genes on and off really rapidly or slowly, has implications for survival under stressful conditions. In other words, Mary watches the cells to see patterns in how they behave. She thinks that those patterns could help her predict whether they live or die during tough times. So how does Mary watch these patterns and then make predictions if one cell isn't like, <laughs> I feel so weak. Okay, so here's where we find out how Mary cooks up this experiment. Ooh, here comes the science recipe. Exactly, yes. So first, Mary has some pretty standard bacteria. You know, your flour, your eggs, whatever. But she adds a twist. A gene that makes the bacteria light up in fluorescent colors. Oh, cool. There's fluorescent colored genes. Can I have those? <laughs> the ones that we use come actually from a, a jellyfish that lives in the ocean. So does a jellyfish like come into a gene donation site every month? Like hopefully they get whatever the equivalent of a jellyfish cookie would be. <laughs> no, the process is more like going on Amazon for jellyfish genes. <laughs> There's an Amazon for jellyfish genes? Well, this is crazy, too, for people who don't know about it. We order it, like, over the internet, and you pay somebody, and they make it for you, and they send it to you. Okay, so obviously making something glow is cool, but aside from the novelty, why does Mary order bacteria with jellyfish genes over the internet? These genes are called fluorescent reporters. They report how the cell is behaving. It's not so different from a journalist telling you about what's going on in the world. The reporter in the cell will tell you what is happening within the cell. Thank you for joining us for Cell News Now, CNN. I'm Anderson E. Coli. Tonight, 
Why is the Petri dish so divided? <laughs> it's not that kind of reporting. <laughs> oh, I would watch that show. I would too. <laughs> <laughs> so how exactly do these glowing fluorescent genes report the cell news? All right, let's go back to our recipe metaphor. This is the first ingredient of the experiment. They use a light code. I mean, it's effectively like shining a flashlight on them. Mary flashes lights at the bacteria, and the bacteria glows back at her. We can do it in different patterns. So we can do, you know, daytime, nighttime, daytime, nighttime, versus daytime, nighttime. So it's kind of like doing a flashlight code with your neighbor. Exactly. Mary is forcing the cells to respond to changes in light. And light can be a very strong way to control behavior, as we know, because we behave very differently when it's light than when it's dark. Your human body can sense the presence of light. Your body knows that when it starts to get dark, you feel sleepy. Um, and when it gets light outside, that's time to wake up. That's so cool. So to go back, Mary wants to see why cells act differently in response to different situations. And so through turning lights on and off at them, she's forcing them to respond. Yes, and these fluorescent genes are the response or the behavior. They send back their own mysterious blinking code. And this is the next step in the experimental recipe. Mary records this like a movie. If you watch that over time, if you play this movie forward, then you'll see that fluorescent colors will sort of flash on and off and they'll turn on for a few hours and then back off again. And two cells that are next to each other might be doing very different things. So like cell movies, are they very dramatic? Here, let's watch one together. Okay, so I see like a bunch of rows of very bright green lights that are kind of like growing and shrinking and kind of like falling apart. Like, looks like fluorescent icicles during melt season. That's sort of what it looks like to me. Yeah, and they're kind of blinking on and off. Some of them are dim, some of them are bright, yeah. and they keep dividing. Seriously, can I use this as a music video? <laughs> it looks pretty cool. <laughs> so, But Mary and her colleagues studied these movies to spot patterns in these little moving, blinking bacteria. What I find completely fascinating is that they do very different things, and I, I think it's really beautiful to watch. Okay, so Mary brought together all these different tools and techniques to have this really visual way to see the cell's behavior. Right, and we all know experiments aren't just about observing what happened. You have to figure out what it means, what's going on. Like, what does it mean when a cell goes bright and dark? Bright, dark, bright, bright, dark, bright, dark. <laughs> Ultimately, that is the point of the entire experiment. Mary and her colleagues believe that these patterns can say something about how strong the cells are. So our, our prediction is that the patterns that they use will have implications for whether they can live or die when they encounter a stressful condition. In other words, if she can say that a cell that goes bright, dark, bright, dark is stronger than a cell that goes bright, dark, bright, dark... Mary will have done a successful experiment. So I feel like this is an obvious question. Like, Why does she want to know this? Is she just training up an army of cell ninja warriors? <laughs> well, Mary wants to be able to work with these cells and tell them to make things. 
bacteria are, are super useful for making um, different products. So they're involved in producing food, making medicine. They're producing food, so they are making pasta. <laughs> no, cells are not literally pasta extruders. <laughs> But biological engineers like Mary see every bacteria cell as a potential factory. It can be given instructions to make things through its DNA, which we can program to make things like meat for vegan burgers. Oh, all right. So this is clicking for me. So why she wants to know which cells will survive under stress is you want the strong cells in your vegan burger factory because it's stressful there. There's a lot of work to do. <laughs> Exactly. So we used to think of bacteria as really simple, but now that we actually want to work with them and use them, we have to understand exactly why they do what they do. You don't want that factory going haywire and making like super sticky glue when what you wanted was a tasty hamburger. <laughs> Basically, Mary's got a lot of work in front of her to prove or disprove her hypothesis. We're studying these random behaviors, and so it's entirely possible that the cells will not respond in a predictable fashion. So she's saying her goal is to predict cell behavior, but cell behavior may not be predictable. That's right. And there's a lot of things that could go wrong along the way. Like right now, none of the cells seem to be responding to the lights. They were doing fine, you know, a month ago. Um, and so we will need to figure out what is going on there. And that is certainly frustrating, but it's the nature of like how these experiments go. So one minute they're all like flashlight dance party and the next they're like, no thanks. So what happened? That's something Mary and her team have to figure out. So Mary's experiment is about answering one big question, but there are tons and tons of smaller questions to answer on the journey. There are a lot of things that could go wrong, and we have not encountered them all yet. Ooh, so it's like you never know what those crazy cells might do next. They all act so differently from each other. I mean, imagine having literally thousands of identical twins in a Petri dish. Like, there's going to be lots of hijinks before you figure out who's who. <laughs> Can you turn a recipe in the kitchen into a science recipe? Take your favorite recipe and then experiment with it. First, write down your recipe and then decide what you're going to change about it. Is it the ingredients or the cooking method or the cooking temperature or time it takes? Make some predictions about what you think will happen. When your recipe is ready, find out if you're correct. If not, what happened that you weren't expecting? And what can you change next time? Let's hope your experiment turns out delicious. Thanks today to Mary Dunlop, Associate Professor in the Department of Biomedical Engineering at Boston University. This episode is supported by the National Science Foundation under award number MCB 2032357. If you want to see Mary's cell movies, check them out on the blog on our website at sciencepodcastforkids.com. Learn more about cells in synthetic biology in our bonus interview episode with Mary. All of our scientist bonus interview episodes are available to patrons who pledge just a dollar or more a month on patreon.com slash tumblepodcast. Sarah Lentz is our head of partnerships and also designed the episode art. I'm Lindsay Patterson, and I wrote and produced this show. And I'm Marshall Escamilla, and I made all of the music. 
Thanks for listening and join us next time for more stories of science discovery. 